on today's Compassion Radio. They realized they were no longer called just to reach the youth, but to transform them into doers and givers and world changers. Right. Because they had basically an army of millions of young people that had been touched by the ministry across all these countries that could be mobilized. Mm-hmm. Hi, friends, and welcome to another Frontlines Report from the places where God's kingdom is taking on the world's biggest challenges. We're glad to have you along for today's adventure in faith. Throughout this month, we've been tracking the events in Ukraine, of course, but we don't do it in quite the same way that typical news organizations do. We're always interested in the kingdom story behind the headlines. We go to where the kingdom action is, and we take you along with us. For a number of this month's broadcasts, Sandy has been sitting in the host seat as we discuss my trip to see how Ukrainian refugees were being treated in surrounding countries as they flee the unprecedented violence. The good news is that good news people have not turned their backs on these unexpected visitors. Christians all over Eastern Europe are not only opening their hearts to Ukrainians, they've opened their doors and lives to them as well. They haven't let rising prices slow down their generosity and compassion. When it costs more to give, they simply give more. In doing so, I think they're inhabiting the promises of God and experiencing His provision in amazing ways. You can be part of the solution, and I'll tell you how later in the broadcast. We'll jump into our discussion on Romania again today with a short recap of the work going on in border towns all across the country, and then take a deeper dive into the lives of our ministry partners in Galatz, a strategic port along the Danube River, where thousands of refugees a day are braving weather and overcrowding on the decks of car ferries to reach the relative safety of NATO territory. What kind of things were you seeing happening in the hospital regarding the refugees that were coming through? The refugees were mostly being handled by clinics, people they sent out to the colleges in the area whose dormitories had been open to house refugees. So they were constantly sending clinics out there to take care of needs as far away from the hospital and as close to the need of the refugees as possible. Mm -hmm. But they couldn't avoid the fact that many people were collapsing Mm -hmm. and that were exhausted. Who knew how many different kinds of nationalities were stumbling through the emergency room? It was not a well-organized emergency room physically. It was like tacked onto a bunch of very old communist-era buildings. Mm -hmm. So you have these rugged, brutalist, heavy concrete with lots of tile on it buildings that were at the core of the hospital. And all of these other extended wandering halls. But there wasn't a hallway anywhere or a room anywhere in the hospital I could see that was not filled with gurneys and people. People with broken arms or cuts or something happened, like car wrecks, whatever. They were stuffed in hallways waiting for someone to see them. Like the worst things you see on TV, melodramas about right. hospital work and right. downtown emergency rooms. The whole hospital felt like a giant emergency room. Hmm. They were short-staffed because they had people out there dealing with refugees where they were and bringing them back to them anyway. So you had less people working for more people hmm. everywhere we went. That was just the reality. Yeah. So not only do they need training and supplies and equipment, they need people to come and help with these situations. And they need someone that can help train people that are coming to them because they don't have enough time to train like they want to. Mm -hmm. And they need relationships to start finding people that can donate the kind of machinery that they're going to need. They need way more radiology equipment, x-rays, CAT scans, and all that kind of stuff. They know around the world right now that second-generation machines are coming into play in many places, So, which means the first-generation material 
is still functioning, but most hospitals are trying to get rid of it because they're trying to increase their efficiency and make things cheaper for them to operate. All that mm-hmm. kind of stuff is happening in the first world. Right. But that doesn't mean that all of these other machines are not wanted, mm-hmm. but nobody has time right now to coordinate all that. So that's another strength, I think, that Conscious International has, is to get in touch with medical supply and surplus companies and get them to the shipping companies that have worked with us before to get the material sent to where it can be signed for and say, we're actually going to put it to use. Not just shipping it, they're hoping somebody will, but somebody is expecting and waiting for it, is eager to receive this yes, equipment and put yes. it to use. I think that's very important that they know that it's coming, that it doesn't just show up on their doorstep yeah. and they're not knowing what to do with it or not even needing it, really. Right. So you spent some time at the hospital, and you met some people there, and then you traveled on to Emmanuel Church, I think, from there, did you? We did, which turned out to be less than a mile and a half away or so. Mm-hmm. And this is where the kingdom of God, the need on the borders, the Ukrainian crisis, medical equipment and supplies and training, all of those things we thought we had a little bit of touch in as we traveled came to a focal point right there in the church building. Mm. Because every single day, the church, which is uh, about maybe 500 people, and they got a, a new worship center and an educational wing, every single day they're bringing in at least 90 to 100 new people wow. to stay with them and to process and figure out what to do next. Many of them have been referred by other churches in Ukraine that knew somehow through the grapevine that churches like Emmanuel Church there in Galatz would take you in mm. or would help you find something. Mm. So if you had nowhere else to turn but through a church link, through somebody who knew somebody who knew somebody, they'd end up showing up at the border with information saying, can you call this church for me? Mm. So even if we didn't know, we, the church, didn't know they were coming, the word had gotten out through Ukraine that churches like the first church we met, Pastor Adi's church in Yash, and the Galatz church down there, they all had people that had told people, had told people. Mm. All across Ukraine, these churches were known for being places of safety, churches of refuge. Mm. So people kept walking off the boat saying, can you get me to Emmanuel Church in Galatz? And sometimes they were able to call beforehand and say, so-and-so referred me, can you take me in? Or I've got a family with young children, can you take us? Mm-hmm. And if they couldn't fit them in the church building with their limited capacity, which was like 120 people, actual sleeping rooms with mats and things in them, then they would have to shunt them off under other government buildings. But they would still go out there and meet them and spend time with them and drive them that hour and a half back from the ferry crossings. Wow. So they would have a chance to actually hear their stories, pray with them that they were open to being prayed for, and just to learn more about them so they could focus on what the needs were. Mm-hmm. And to try to figure out the best solution within the city. And I was on a couple of those trips with Ruxi, our good friend, who was the director of those kind of services at the church. An all-around very enterprising young lady. Mm-hmm. Um, but we got to see the disappointment in her when she realized that this family, the people we're picking up, we couldn't take in at the church because there just was no room left. Mm-hmm. And they hadn't been able to move out enough people yet to mm-hmm. make room. Mm-hmm. So even though she wanted desperately to get this particular young lady and her nephew to the church, we had to take them to a gymnasium, which means at school. Before you get further into the story of meeting people at the border, at the ferry, let's talk a little bit more about Ruxi. Mm-hmm. And I know that you did spend some time with her and talk to her and interview her for the program, and we'll get that interview up pretty soon. But Ruxi is so special to us because we met her, like you said, a couple years ago when we spent some time in Romania in 2019 and early 2020. Ruxi is on staff with an organization that we deeply love and believe in wholeheartedly called Josiah Venture. And many of you have heard programs about Josiah Venture in the past. All across Eastern Europe, Josiah Venture people have 
flipped their switch from youth work primarily into refugee resettlement and help. And Rooksy is a great example of how seamlessly this has occurred. She was focused all her time on reaching the youth of Romania for Christ. That's her job. That's what she does for Josiah Venture. And Doreen as well, whom we met when we were there. But Rooksy rose to this occasion. And I want you to talk a little bit about Rooksy in this, because she is a a phenomenal woman. The nice thing about being an itinerant ministry like we are, we get to visit a lot of people, but because of the kind of people that you are, especially, honey, we adopt a lot of people. (laughs) (laughs) We do. She's one of my girls, for sure. And Rooksy, being about the age range of our girls and being very active in outreach, yes, she wanted to be involved with arts and youth outreach across Romania. That was her calling. You talk about Josiah Venture flipping the switch as needed. They did. But it's not because they did something different than working with youth. They realized they were no longer called just to reach the youth, but to transform them into doers and givers and world changers. Right. Because they had basically an army of millions of young people that had been touched by their ministry across all these countries that could be mobilized. Mm-hmm. But that took them retooling in order to say, okay, it's not just about reaching them, it's now about empowering them right. and getting them information and opportunities. And they did. As soon as the situation in Europe was shifting towards pre-war, they started thinking really hard. And they already had been thinking a lot because of the pandemic, because that has shut down so many of their normal activities. But they're not going to sit around for years and wait for the pandemic to be over to start ministry again. Mm-hmm. It was simply asking God what he wants us to do now. Right. And they did that early on. They retooled top to bottom saying, this is the kind of stuff we need to be focusing on now and training our people to get ready for and waiting for God to open doors as he shows us in these areas. So they did. Brooksy was one of those national leaders that was now on staff with the church in Galatz, where she had already been a worship leader and had turned over some of her responsibilities for the music groups she was leading to somebody else in the church and made it more local instead of like a national touring team but focused on who needed development and help right away. And discipleship programs. And discipleship programs. So she was discipling leaders now, mm-hmm. not just some people who were being introduced to Christ. She was doing all that. And then the war started. So from her home base, she asked the pastoral staff, what do we do? And they looked at her and said, what do you think we should do? So when in a society, it's a very patriarchal like Romania, when adult men who have families of her own, turn to a young single lady who's just getting into her early 30s now and ask her what God has put on your heart to do. That's a big shift for their culture. Mm-hmm. I'm talking within the church, mm-hmm. not just the society. Well, and she's shown herself capable. And faithful. And, faithful. and she's been respectful and has kept herself involved with and has earned the respect of people in the church across the country because of her ability to do her job, but also to work with situations that are not necessarily so pleasant for women to work mm-hmm. in. She's been persistent, but kind and insistent that God's work would continue and that it makes no difference who's leading or who's bringing the idea. If God has brought it, you listen to the person who brought it. Mm-hmm. She's shown how that's possible. And they put her in charge of much right away. Yeah. They gave her responsibility to coordinate all the volunteers for the intake of refugees. And when she said, along with Doreen, another JV person who's on staff at the church there, we need to be holistic in our approach to the mm-hmm. refugees, not just provide a bed. We need to provide whatever they need. Yeah. So... As far as we're concerned, until this crisis is over, this entire campus 
is God's to use for that ministry, and we will deploy our entire church to serve whoever God brings mm-hmm. us. And they have a large group of volunteers that yes. have shown up every day to serve the people of Ukraine that are coming through there regularly. I mean, mm-hmm. daily basis. Ruxi is managing logistics of all those volunteers, making sure they don't get burnt out, that people are covered every day. She's training them for what they need to do and providing for their needs to make sure they don't go crazy trying to keep up with the needs. Mm-hmm. But she ministers to those who are ministering nonstop during the day and solving problems nonstop. Mm-hmm. She's basically running a refugee camp right there inside the church. Mm-hmm. But she also knows that like the rest of the refugee centers in Romania, they've got to get them moving before the doors close farther west, to get right. them as far away from the fighting as possible so the doors can stay open and available for more to come because they know more will be coming. Mm-hmm. We know that, especially now since Mariupol is under siege so greatly, yeah. the people that can get out of there. I want to encourage our listeners, as you hear us talking about what's happening at Emmanuel Church there in Galatz, please pray for these people, these volunteers, these men and women that Ruxi is coordinating mm-hmm. in their services that they can receive peace and rest in the Lord as they do this service and they work here, because it is hard work. It is emotional work. It is very difficult work to constantly be inundated with the stories of trauma that they're hearing every day. Yeah, they are. They're hearing plenty of those stories. They were one of the only churches in that part of the country that had already, years ago, decided that emotional and mental and spiritual health would become part of their key offerings as a ministry. Mm -hmm. They started actually hiring and training counselors and made a counseling center available there in the church, which had never really been done in that society before. But they knew that it was working in many countries, including the United States. And they took seriously the threat to mental health. And they were some of the first people in that part of the country that actually brought in young people who were suicidal or families that were dealing with drug addiction things and finding ways for them to navigate those treacherous waters Mm -hmm. and find peace in Christ along the way. Friends, we're focused right now on the current crisis in and around Ukraine. Will you help us today? We have blankets and food to buy, tanks to fill with gas, and medicine to help them survive the days ahead. This need is not going away anytime soon, even as this rescue operation rapidly sweeps the refugees farther west, away from the fighting. Friends, really, we need you now to step up. Please, give generously, even sacrificially, right away. I know that God will be pleased if we do. So call us today at 1-800-868-2478. Mail us at P.O. Box 2770, Orange, California, 92859, or give online at CompassionRadio.com. And you can text Serve Ukraine, that's one word, to 53445 to make a gift right now through your phone. And make sure to let your friends know about that option, too. Thank you, friends, for letting God expand your faith through real activist giving today. And now, back to our discussion. They were doing a great job with that. So they were the first people to step in and say, these are the kind of things we're going to start seeing showing up, and this is how to read the scene. Mm -hmm. How you see the kind of reactions that young people have. How to read PTSD when it walks into the room. Things like that, to be aware of that. So they're much better equipped, I think, than just the average volunteer that's showing up to fork over a lunch to somebody in a line. They're really all being trained to be spiritually sensitive and aware so that they can pray together about how God would have them deal with the situation that they're seeing in front of them or to find ways to get them to people who can help. Mm -hmm. So every single person that's going through that church that's a refugee from Ukraine is being evaluated and prayed over. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And I trained the people how to do that and to do it with respect and kindness and not make it look like it's a proselytizing exercise. Like we just want people to be in our church. Right. It is the church serving so that God can be shown to be the one who cares for them. Right. Not a recruiting tool to build a bigger church. Mm. They know that people aren't even going to stay. Most of the people they'll probably never hear from again. They know that. Yeah. And yet they're giving their absolute best now because they believe in God's economy that God will give them everything they need and will never let them go without if they will do what he calls them to do. Mm-hmm. That God is a provider. He's a healer. He's at the same time a commander in chief. He has an army of people ready to step in to do his kind of warfare, which is against evil that wants to destroy lives. Mm-hmm. And this church is a great example of the kind of army that God is setting up around the world in that they serve because they love. Yes. One of the things that I was so impressed with that Rooksy did that you told me about was, and I I want Rooksy to tell her own story, (laughs) so I I know that we'll get to that at some point in our uh, Compassion Radio broadcast. One of the things that she did was coordinated restaurants Mm. in the city of Galatz to provide food for all of these refugees that were coming through, and they had them making meals and packaging them up and sending them to the church so they could be warmed up and ready for the people to eat. Now, our local grocery store has this great section where you can just go and choose your meal, and they're really good meals. It's almost like a frozen food dinner or whatever, but it's a fresh meal. And we just bring it home and cook it up Cook it up when we're in a hurry. And so Rooksy helped coordinate something similar to that in these restaurants. And I'm so thrilled that we could be a part of helping with that in purchasing two microwave ovens for them. Yeah, well, there you go to, down to practical things. When you ask God, what do they need? And he says, just ask them. Yes. <laughs> and that meant for us, not just thinking through, oh, we should leave them money for this thing or take care of this need or just try to be a hero. Mm-hmm. What it came down to for me is that I know Ruxi and I know Doreen and I know a lot of people in that church. We respect them. Yeah. And we knew that they would be forthright with us. They weren't going to try to be cagey with us. If they have a need, they're going to tell us. Mm-hmm. So I had helped out with a lunch where we're trying to heat things up. They're running around and putting stuff on hot plates, putting things in ovens, and they have hundreds of people coming through to get meals. And these meals are coming from these different restaurants. The church had helped them set up an actual packaging operation where they would seal the meals like they do for airline meals. Mm-hmm. And then bring those over, contain, they're ready to go. But you know, not all of them would arrive completely hot. I mean, sure. You're talking about hundreds of meals that are coming through that have to be processed out of a single restaurant. By the time they get there, half of them are cold. We're dealing with that and trying to heat things up. People don't like the cold food. We heat it up sure. and get it out of them. And so I asked Rusi, what would be the, the best thing that would help the process here? It would help your people not be so taxed. And she looked at the line of people that were heating things up in ovens and boiling water. She said, the biggest thing that would help my people are two microwave ovens. Mm-hmm. And I have no time to go out and get one. So if you just pray for that, that'd be great. And I said, we'll do better. What kind of microwave oven do you need? And she described the kind that they needed for the amount of power they had available and what would be able to move things through fast enough. And she gave me a description for it. I said, so if you had to settle, what would you really need? And said, well, one microwave oven would help a lot. I had no idea how much money was in our pocket right at that moment to do it. I said, I'll take care of it. And I took off and we drove to what would be kind of like a big appliance superstore. Found what she was asking for. And I found a couple other features on one that actually would help her even more, a little more power, faster cooking, that kind of stuff. And I asked the guy how much for that. And he told me the price. It wasn't outrageous, really. 
I looked in my pocket for what was available to me for the cash that Compassion Radio listeners had sent with us to do there. And I realized I had enough right then that day to buy two of those. Mm-hmm. So I didn't ask for permission. Rooksy had already said what the need was, and that was up to me to make good on that. So we bought two of them immediately, drove them back, and set them up. Mm-hmm. So by the time dinner came around, three of their volunteers were now free to do other things because the microwaves were working. Mm. And that one gift from Compassion Radio was enough to make it possible to leverage their people to be with people, not with dishes. Right. Since that time, we found out recently that they've streamlined their operation enough that if they could just wash silverware, they'd be able to speed up things a lot more too because they have like four or five people dedicated just to getting through hundreds of sets of silverware every day and they don't have enough material in that country for disposables for forks and knives. They have to go with normal steel. They just need something to wash those. So Rooksy let me know that they had a need for a dishwasher. We're working on that right now. Yeah. Those are the kind of practical things when you look at it and say, yeah, it helps efficiency. But when it comes to ministry, these things help minister. Mm-hmm. They help people spend time with people who need them. Mm-hmm. It lifts a burden from those who are trying to organize all of these things and figure out how are we going to afford this? How are we going to get this equipment that we need? When we are available to just say, oh, we'll take care of it for yeah. you. And not every solution is going to be a technical solution. Sure. But in any situation where we find ourselves as a ministry able to take care of something as straightforward as a dishwasher in order to make ministry possible, mm-hmm. we're going to do it. Yeah. And if we need to send volunteers to be part of that, we'll send them. Right now, the things that they needed were so immediate and could be found locally that it makes a whole lot more sense for me to put the money that our givers have given toward these ministries to fill a tank of gas like I did for Ruxi as we went to pick up refugees at the border. And she was at her credit card limit mm. to be able to fuel the tank up. So Compassion Radio paid for that. And we did that for a couple other of the relief teams that were running back and forth to the border because we could and because we were there. So while you're there, while you're with the people who are doing God's work, you do what you can to help them do that work. Yeah. You don't just watch them do it. Sure. So that's what we were able to do while we were there. It also means that we're starting a relationship where we build ourselves a reputation of being problem solvers and helpers. And that reputation is now kind of being kicked forward into other opportunities to help provide for needs that are actually in Ukraine while people in the church are under fire. And we're doing more of that quietly, which I wish I could talk more about now. Mm. I just can't yet because it's so operationally dangerous for us to be able to talk about who's getting what and how. Mm -hmm. But Compassion Radio people are making it possible for us to be directly involved with supplying the needs of those who are bringing relief to people under fire and to help the church evacuate people who are injured in Ukraine to hospitals that can take them. Mm -hmm. We're involved in that because our people are giving. We will address technical needs as they're given to us, saying, Compassion Radio, can you help with? And if we can tell you about those things we do, like we did with the dishwasher, Mm -hmm. like we did with the microwaves, and if we have volunteer opportunities that come up soon to be able to go and serve there, we'll let you know about those as well. But the important part for us is that Compassion Radio has always wanted to be about the doing, not just the hearing and the talking. Mm -hmm. So we'll tell you the story, friends, in order that you will be responsive that you will hear something in what we're telling you that sparks an interest, a desire, a passion in you to get involved. Mm -hmm. That's pretty much it. And if we don't go, we don't find out these stories. So that's why we have to go sometimes. I'm not going to be going back to Romania anytime soon because I don't want to waste those resources that we have coming in, as limited as they are, on us traveling right now. There will be a time, though, when it's going to make a lot of sense to go and find out what happened Mm -hmm. and to find out what the next thing is. Right now, though, it's a matter of providing dishwashers, tanks of gas, microwaves, 
and getting people in touch with each other that can help each other as God provides that link through our friendships. Mm-hmm. That's what Compassion Radio is going to be busy with in the next few weeks and months to come. Well, honey, I'm glad you went. I'm glad that you were able to go to Romania and meet with people that we hold dear and now new people that we're holding dear mm-hmm. to really hear their stories and to see the needs for yourself that we can encourage our listeners to be part of meeting those yes. needs. I am looking forward to hearing more of the stories and future broadcasts here on Compassion Radio about your time in Romania and actually hearing from the people that you met with as well more than we have. Right. And that's going to come up in the next few programs because we have more to talk about where the refugees coming across the river there from Ukraine into Romania and about what happened while we got back to Bucharest, Mm -hmm. the volunteers that have shown up since then, the new relationships, the new focus on mission and ministry that's happening now with Compassion Radio and with Conscious International because of those relationships. Mm -hmm. So we'll get to those as soon as we can. We just want to thank you for joining us on Compassion Radio today, and we hope that you'll tune in again tomorrow and the next day after that to hear more stories about what God's doing on the front lines of faith. Friends, we're focused right now on the current crisis in and around Ukraine. Will you help us today? We have blankets and food to buy, tanks to fill with gas, and medicine to help them survive the days ahead. This need is not going away anytime soon, even as this rescue operation rapidly sweeps the refugees farther west, away from the fighting. Friends, really, we need you now to step up. Please, give generously, even sacrificially, right away. The toll-free number is 1-800-868-2478. That's 1-800-868-2478. You can mail Compassion Radio at P.O. Box 2770, Orange, California, 92859. And you can text Serve Ukraine, that's one word, to 53445 to make a gift right now through your phone. And make sure to let your friends know about that option, too. And we're online 24-7 at CompassionRadio.com. If you missed anything on today's program, of course, the podcast is always available online, so check that out, too. I'm Bram Floria. Thanks so much, and we'll see you tomorrow.